Everybody's feeling energized and ready to sing some more praises to God this morning, hear from his word. Welcome to Central Baptist Church Livingston. My name is Austin Surrett. I serve as the worship leader here. Uh, here in a moment, we'll be hearing a word from our pastor, Sonny Hathaway, from God's word. Uh, during that time, if you're feeling led to respond in any way, we invite you to come down to the front. You can pray with Pastor Sonny or some of our deacons will make themselves available to you. Um, also, during the service, if you're new with us, we invite you to check out the seat backs in front of you. There's some connection cards. Just put some basic info, your names, how, how we can get in contact with you so that we can uh, follow up with you throughout the week. Also, if you have any prayer requests, whether you're new or whether you're a, a regular member here, if you have any prayer requests, please put them on that same card. You can put them at the uh, exits. There's places to drop it by all the doors as you leave this morning. Uh, also, if you have uh, tithes and offerings, you can leave them in that same spots as you leave, or you can give online by going to our website, centrallivingston.com. Uh, before we continue in worship, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the freedom that we have to come into this place and to sing praises to you openly and without fear of prosecution, persecution. God, I pray that um, this time would be honoring and glorifying to you, Lord, that this wouldn't just be about us, the, the people on stage, that it wouldn't be about um, anyone in this room, but Lord, this would just be a time that's solely focused on bringing praise, glory, and honor to you. Lord, as we sing, uh, God, about seeing your face, God, as we sing about your holiness, as we sing um, about the hope that we have in you, Lord, I pray that that would resonate with our hearts, that it would draw us near to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Blessed to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In, you, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope truly is living. We don't need a hope in the things of this world that are perishing and passing away. Instead, our hope is eternal, and He is seated on the throne. How great the chasm that lay between us.
You can be seated. All right, let's pray together. All right, if you want to come down here in front and pray with me here to the front, please come forward and let's pray and let's cry out to the Lord as we have a time of prayer together. Uh, what a great morning it's been already to sing and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and to pray to Him and uh, to see each other. It's good to be together in God's house, isn't it? And uh, we're just here this morning to praise Him, worship Him, and let's pray to Him now and let's talk to Him. This morning. God, as we come to you this morning, we thank you for the time that you have given us already to worship you. Thank you for the time that we've had to, Lord, come together once again as the church. Um, Lord, you have made this day possible. You made 
Lord, our time together each and every Sunday morning, but also throughout the week possible because of, Lord Jesus, your sacrifice on the cross. But Lord, also, Lord, you didn't just die in the grave. You died and were buried, but you rose from the dead. We got to sing a moment ago about that. We remember this morning, Lord Jesus, your resurrection, and you have given us a reason to gather, a reason to have hope, a reason to understand, Lord, that this is not the best that this world has to offer for us. But Lord, we are just passing through. And Lord, it took some of us a long time to understand that. And we finally came to a place in our life where we gave our lives over to you and surrendered our lives to you. Lord, we have that living hope. We have that everlasting life. We have that abundant life that you promise us, Jesus. And we are thankful. God, we're here this morning because God, we have burdens on our hearts. We have things going on in our lives that we wanna give over to you right now. Lord, there are things, Lord, in our hearts that, Lord, have been plaguing us, things that, Lord, have worried us, things that have burdened us. Let me give those things over to you right now. Father, we pray this morning that you would give us the wisdom that we need, that you would intervene, that there would be breakthrough in some of the areas in our lives that, Lord, we've just been praying time and time again over. We pray that, God, you would move powerfully. You would move in a way that, Lord, we can look and see that it is you that did that and not us. We pray that you would take away and strip away from us our pride, our self-reliance, our dependence upon ourselves, our independence from you. God, we are coming to you about not only the matters that are important to us in our life, but just in general, Lord, would you lead us forward, not as people who are independent and separated from you, but Lord, those who are dependent upon you for everything, in everything. We need you to move in some of these important areas. We need you to move in our personal lives. We need you to move in our community here in Livingston. We need you to move in in America. We need you to move in our own local church. God, that you would move powerfully in important areas, God, in our lives and in our community and around the world. Father, we thank you for this place because it is in this place when we gather together, Lord, we experience what you intended for us to experience, unity, love, a reminder of your promises, Reminder, Lord, of what your word says to us, what you want to speak into our life about. We're reminded, God, and we hear and we interact with the things that matter to you, the things that you love and the things that you hate. We interact with them every day, every, every Sunday when we come together. When we open your word, we see your word to us. You show us the things that are important, the things that matter, the things that you want us to know about and understand as individuals, as families, and as a church. We pray this morning is that your hand would be upon us as we have been praying collectively all morning, long before this service started, that your Holy Spirit would move among us and that your Holy Spirit would manifest the presence of Jesus among us because Jesus brings transformed lives. Lord Jesus, you transform the human heart. You change our mindset. You change our perspective. And you set our eyes on the things that matter, the things that are eternal, the things that last. And so we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would move among us, that you would save those of us this morning that are lost and that are separated from you. 
that you, Holy Spirit, would encourage us, those of us who have discouraged hearts, that you, Holy Spirit, would, Lord, affirm the things that your word is teaching us and showing us today. The Spirit of God, you wrote the words, the very words that we're about to read, the very words that we're about to look at today. You wrote them. And you give us the ability to understand them. And then you give us the courage to respond to them. And you move in us and you move ahead of us when we, by faith, walk in obedience to your word. And so we pray that you'd move among us, God. We pray your blessing to be upon this time as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be back. I missed you last Sunday. And you were in, a, you were in great hands with Dr. Steve Brazell. I asked him to come. He's a friend of Central Baptist Church. And uh, I'm so glad to, uh, uh, that he was able to be here last Sunday morning. Uh, some of you didn't know I was going to be out. Most of you probably didn't know I was going to be away. But we were back east visiting our families. This time of year is the best time of year for us to get away. Um, typically, right before school starts, right toward the end of July, and, and uh, right after cr- the craziness of Vacation Bible School. Um, and uh, amen. It was crazy, wasn't it? But a lot has happened in the last uh, uh, just couple weeks. Uh, we spent time with both of our families out on the East Coast. We spent time, of course, taking our oldest son and daughter-in-law and, and uh, kind of getting them squared away so that as they transition into their new season of life, as they serve our God uh, around the world, and they're preparing for that. And uh, we saw them here a couple Sundays ago. If you were here, we prayed over them and uh, asked the Lord to anoint them, and they're squared away. They're starting to move in that direction, and so we're continuing to pray for them. But I missed you last Sunday. I watched live online, and I saw from a distance what, uh, what God was doing here, and I just praise God for all that he did last Sunday and over the last uh, week and a half or so that we were away. But I did miss you, and I prayed for you, and uh, I'm so glad to be home. We are glad to be home. Um, I want to ask you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to look this morning at a very, uh, very simple and straightforward story in the Bible, And, uh, you know, we're in a season right now as we kind of move from the end of July into August. During the summer months, and as we move into the month of of August, rather, we are in a season of preparation for our new ministry year. You know, we're just a couple weeks away from our Wednesday ministries kicking back, started again. Um, We've got uh, promotion Sunday, next Sunday. I'll talk about that later in the service. We've got a lot going on. Um, and we are about to start our new ministry year. And so in light of that, let's talk about this morning gospel-centered service. We're going to look at a very simple and straightforward story out of the Bible. And so I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 20. You ever said something and, and it came out wrong? Or maybe you said something that you shouldn't have said. Maybe you didn't know about the topic and you had really no idea about the topic and then you stick your foot in your mouth No one's ever done that in here. When I was a kid, I used to do that all the time. And one of the famous phrases our kids learn, I don't know how they learn that. I learned it from a very early age. No one ever taught me, it just came. And that is, that's not fair. I would say that to my parents. Whenever they would tell me to do something that I didn't want to do, or they told me to do something I didn't want to do, I would say, that's not fair. And I had no idea what fairness was. It's just I didn't get my way, right? And that's the thing about this story this morning that we're going to learn about. 
This story comes about a woman who, a mother actually, who asks for a special favor on behalf of her two boys. And she has no idea what she's really asking. She's just asking the question. And Jesus is going to teach both his disciples as well as us about what greatness really looks like in the kingdom of God. What does greatness look like in the local church? What does greatness look like when it comes to serving God, when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives? Well, Jesus is going to teach this by way of a little story <clears throat> to us this morning. So I want you to look with me at your Bibles at what it says in, in Matthew chapter 20, <clears throat> beginning in verse 20. I'm going to read our text for us this morning. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, kneeling before him. She asked him for something. Now, now we have a woman who is a mother of the two sons of Zebedee. Who are they? James and John, yeah, those of you who know out there, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, came up to Jesus. She kneels down before him. She asks for something. Verse 20. Now, verse 21. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at the right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, well, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, not the woman, but they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, well, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant, meaning they were kind of a, there was a jealous anger that existed among them at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him. Here's the teaching moment. You ready? You know that the rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever should be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Gospel-centered service. What does it look like to be great in the kingdom of God? And this morning, we're going to look at what that looks like this morning as we walk through this story. So look with me, first of all, at the woman's question. A mother's very simple question. It is a strange question, but it is a very self-centered question, isn't it? I mean, when you just take a step back and you read the story and you know nothing about it, mommy comes to Jesus asking for her two sons to be important in Jesus' kingdom. I mean, that's what it's boiling down to. And this is what happens in verse 20. Then the mother, the sons of Zebedee, came to him with her sons, which is key, kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Now, in light of what Jesus says to them, why is this a strange, strange question? Why is this a strange question? Because it is in light of what Jesus has already been talking about. Like we, we're jumping into a story. We're jumping into a narrative, if you will, of what's going on in Matthew. Just look at the few verses right above verses 17, 18, and 19, and notice what it says. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside and on the way up, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. There is a story in which Jesus is teaching them. He's revealing to them about what's to happen. They don't understand it. They don't fully grasp what is happening. They don't fully understand what Jesus is about to do for them, for us. 
to create Central Baptist Church, to make what we're doing this morning possible, to make what we're doing a reality so that we can come into a place like this, have a local church. They're not grasping any of that, but they are focused and they are really hung up on this idea of what it means to be great. In fact, you can go back and look from from the very beginning all the way through when we see the struggle that the disciples had. What's Jesus saying here? Well, he's been talking about this idea of the kingdom He's been talking about this idea of the future, if you will. In fact, if you go back to chapter 19 and look at verse 28, this is what it says. You can just look right over in your Bibles. It says, Jesus said to them, the disciples, truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus says in the beginning of Mark, he says at the beginning of Matthew, that the kingdom of God has come, but the kingdom of God is also coming. There is a future kingdom in which Jesus, when he returns, there will be a new kingdom. But that kingdom has begun, Jesus, in the inception of Jesus, in, in Jesus coming into the world. Now we are a part of a new kingdom that is being, being formed, if you will. It is marching forward. We are part of the kingdom of God that is continuing to grow and expand. This is what we do. We exist to expand the kingdom, to grow the kingdom, to win people to Christ and to disciple each other and to continue to do that work together. But there is going to come a time when all of this ends. Central Baptist Church ends. All of the local churches on earth end. And there is one kingdom, Jesus himself. So we understand that there's a strange question that the woman is asking, but it is also a self centered question at the same time. This woman has one shot with Jesus. She's got one shot to talk to Jesus. And she comes with the right posture in verse 20. Notice that she comes kneeling before him and she asks him for something. So she comes with the right posture, but she asks the wrong question with the wrong, seeking the wrong things. Now we do this a lot in communication. I mean, sometimes we can come and we can have the right posture, but we can ask, we can ask the wrong things or say the wrong things. Sometimes we don't come with the right posture, but then we ask the right things, or we say the right things in personal conversations with each other. Posture matters, motive matters, content matters. The woman comes with the right posture, but she comes with the wrong question and the wrong things that she's asking. What do they ask? Best seats in the kingdom. They want to the left, and they, they, she wants her sons to have the left and the right of Jesus in the kingdom. And that's what she wants, but I would ask, I would add this. It's not just what the mother wants. We're not here to beat up on the mom. It's what they want. And in many respects, what may have taken place here is that the brothers went to mom and asked mom to go talk to Jesus. It could have very well been that way. Because notice that the brothers are right there. This isn't as though the brothers are off somewhere doing something on their own and mom just gets it in her, in her mind, hey, hey I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak up for my, my, my kids. No, they're right there. They could have stopped mom if they wanted to. All three of them are in on this, and they're asking Jesus this very question. Now, what do they want? They want recognition. They want a position of high authority, a status in the new kingdom. With Jesus, Jesus has all authority. And that's what Matthew's going to teach us, right? And Jesus is going to teach us that at the very end. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus looks at his disciples, the 11, after he is about to ascend into heaven. And Jesus there on the the mountain with the 11 says, all authority has what? Been given unto me. 
All authority on heaven and heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the king. Jesus has all authority in every way. But what this mother and what these two boys want, what these two disciples want, James and John, what they want is that recognition, that high status in the kingdom, in their selfish ambition. They seek the wrong things. She's asking a question that is seeking the wrong thing. They collectively ask the strange and very self-absorbed or self-centered question. It wasn't just their problem. Let's not beat up on James and John and the mother. You see, this was a problem that went all the way back throughout the disciples. They struggled with this very issue. What does it mean to be great in God's kingdom? I mean, think about what Jesus has already said just a couple chapters before this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. This is what Jesus says. It says in this kind of story, at that time the disciples came to Jesus, and what do they ask? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're struggling with this question. They, they want to know what is great. Their, their pride is on full display. They're struggling with this issue of, of, of greatness. They're struggling with this issue of, uh, of self-centeredness, if you will. And that's going to follow them if you can just read through the Gospels. It's going to follow them all the way to the Lord's Supper in the very end. I mean, this is what is going on in the disciples' mind. Back in chapter 18, they ask who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and calling to him a child, he puts it to, he puts put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has been teaching them. Jesus has been pouring into them. Jesus is trying to help them understand this issue, this issue of, uh, of, of, of pride, if you will, this issue of greatness, if you will. What it reveals, this question in chapter uh, 20 verse 20 reveals are three things. It reveals a superficial understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. But it also reveals this idea that there is an inflated view of themselves. It also reveals that there is this misunderstanding that these men have and what this mother has of what it means to follow Jesus. It is inflated in every way. What it means to be great in the kingdom of God. I want you to notice in the story how the story continues. Jesus looks at them, and she gives him, her a very direct answer. So she asks this question. She's going to receive a direct answer in verse 21. He said to her, what do you want? She said, say to these sons of mine, or sit one to your right and one to your left in the kingdom. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink? And they said to him, we are able they ask this very direct answer. They're going to get a very direct uh, question, rather, and they're going to get a very direct answer. Jesus looks at her and says, you don't know what you're asking. She, he looks at these disciples as he's looking at her and says, you do not know what you're asking. We knew that, don't we? We ask questions and we, we are... We are very good at asking questions and making statements about things we don't understand. I mean, just in our household, we've had questions in the last few days about the Astros. Who should they trade for? As though I'm a general manager of a Major League Baseball team. Well, I think they should go after this person. I, they really need this person. They really need that person. As though I know anything of what I'm talking about. But I feel really good about it at the end of it, the conversation, because I'm pretty set in my ways, right? Yeah, I know they need a starting pitcher. They need to go after another guy, you know, get them through, go to the distance of the World Series again. We're used to winning, right? 
And so I know what it means to win in a Major League Baseball program, right? We're really good at making comments and asking questions and, and formulating conclusions about things we really don't understand fully with our lives. That is human nature, and that is what these men are asking and looking at when it comes to greatness in the kingdom of God. They sound like experts. This question, are you able? Are you able? Is a very important question. Are you able to receive or take this cup? Well, what is the cup? I mean, look at verse 20, 22 again. You, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? What is this cup? Well, it's a metaphor for Jesus' suffering. Jesus is about to suffer on the cross. He wants them to know that if they are willing, are they willing to be rejected? Are they willing to undergo persecution? Are they willing to undergo what, what Jesus is about to undergo in order to gain glory? You see, what Jesus is going to teach throughout the Gospels is he's teaching us, and what God teaches us is the greatest glory comes to those who suffer the most. We see that in the New Testament. The greatest glory comes to those who oftentimes suffer the most for Jesus. They're asking a question. They're jockeying for something they don't fully understand, but they answer with yes. They answer the question with yes. So what does Jesus say? Well, you will. Here's the direct answer, right? You will receive this cup. He says, listen, this is going to happen to you. Listen, I think when we understand what happens with James, James becomes the first martyr of the church. He's the first one who's going to be killed for the faith. He's going to be the first one of the disciples that's going to be killed. In Acts chapter 12, we learn that James here in this story is going to lose his life. In fact, he most likely was beheaded in that story. We can fast forward then until Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. We know the story of John. He's tortured and then he is exiled on the island of Patmos. In Revelation chapter 1 God gives him this incredible revelation of what the future is going to look like. See that Jesus gives them this direct answer. They've come with the wrong motives. And then up walks the ten in the story. So notice what happens in the story next in verse 24. Because as Jesus is teaching them, as Jesus is talking to them, the other ten walk up. Verse 24, it says, and when the ten heard it, they became indignant at the two brothers. Now, don't understand this. It isn't as though these ten are innocent. It's as though these ten were complicit themselves. They were just jealous. They didn't get to Jesus before the other two did, before the mother did. This idea of being indignant is that they're angry, but they're jealous at the same time when you really dig into what the posture and the perspective of these ten are. Disciples react with a sense of jealousy. So Jesus gives them this lesson on what it means to have gospel-centered service. Look at verse 25. That Jesus called them to him and said, and here's the lesson, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever should, would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus explains the world, and then he explains the kingdom of God. 
He explains how the world works and how the world thinks and what values the world imposes upon us and then how the kingdom of God is. You see, with the way the lost world is, that the lost world is driven by selfish ambition. We see that, don't we? We understand that. It's driven by selfish ambition. It's driven by raw power. It's driven by position. Who has the greatest position? Who has the greatest power? Who has the greatest authority? We see that in government. We see that in every area of our society. We see that in business. We see that in family. We see that in all kinds of dynamics and relationships. The world is driven by this idea of ambition, but ambition's not a bad thing, but it is a sense of selfish ambition that the world values in every respect. The Lord is over it all. The Lord has authority over it all. And in the world, it is more important who you are. It's more important what you have accomplished. It is more important. Those things are important, and, 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 and you're rewarded for more, with more authority. It's who you are and what you've done, and you're rewarded with more authority as time goes on. But that's not so in the kingdom of God. You see, what Jesus comes to do, and we see this in every respect, whenever he's teaching his disciples, whenever Jesus is teaching us, that Jesus is flipping on its head what it means to be a member or a citizen of the kingdom of God. This isn't selfish ambition. This isn't position and power and authority and, and name recognition. This is about what it means to be selfless in your service. It is about what it means to have gospel-centered service. A follower of Jesus Christ is what Jesus describes in verse 26. Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. He shows them exactly what God shows us. All we have to do is look around us. It's the same today as it was for the disciples then. Their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be what? So among you. It shall not be so among us as a church. But whoever should be great among you must be your servant. Now we start to flip it on its head. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? You want to be great in God's kingdom? Serve. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? You want to please God and worship him and glorify him in every respect? Well, we become two things, Jesus says. There are two big words that Jesus is going to use there. Servant, which is the word diakonos, which is what you as deacons, those of you who are serving our body as deacons, it is the word diakonos. It's the Greek word. Jesus uses it right here. You become a servant. We're all in every respect called to be a diakonos. We're all called to be a servant. But we're also called to be a slave. It's the Greek word doulos. And this is what Jesus uses. He's teaching his disciples these two concepts, these two words right there in the verse. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. If we want to be great in the kingdom of God, we are to be a doulos. We are to be a slave to one another. We are to be a servant to one another. We are to serve and we are to be a slave in our mindset, in the way that we live our lives. And all of this is, of course, modeled by Jesus himself. Which is why Jesus, on the very back end of all of this, is not just going to show them what the wrong example looks like. Look at your society. Look around you. But that ought not be the way it is in the kingdom of God. Instead, this is how you are to live your life, and then I'm going to model it for you. And notice what on the back end of the story, in the back end of the principle that Jesus teaches here, <clears throat> what greatness looks like. He says, don't look anywhere else but me. And that's why at the end of verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus knew his mission. Jesus wasn't here for this. 
Jesus was here to sacrifice his life, to lay down his life for you and I and for them. Jesus was there, and he was there in this story and understood his mission, that he wasn't there for the accolades. He wasn't there to be put up on a pedestal, so to speak, in a self-centered way that broke from his mission. He was all about giving his life as a, what, a ransom for all. Now, if you were there and you heard Jesus say these words for the very first time and he uses ransom, they're thinking slavery, They're thinking someone giving money in order as a ransom to free a slave. Bingo. That's what Jesus does for us. You see, this understanding of ransom is an idea of payment. It's payment. And this is the mission of Christ. This is what Jesus shows us time and time again. I mean, look at John chapter 1. Right here, this Jesus teaches us this from the very beginning in John chapter 1, beginning in, or in verse 29. We got that up. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. What did John the Baptist say to Jesus, uh, say about Jesus and, and declare? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't just think about what John says. Think about what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Look at this verse. And hope does not put us to... There it is. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and has been given to us. God does this work. Jesus does this work. I mean, think about not just the words of John the Baptist. Think about not just the words of the Apostle Paul, but how about Peter himself, who learns this principle, and we see this in his own letter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to what this says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might not die to sin and live to righteousness, but by his wounds you have been healed. This understanding of God's sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, God does this work for us in order to bring us to him. This is why you and I need Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord. Why do you have to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Because Jesus was perfect. Jesus, as perfect sacrifice, went to the cross. And because he went to the cross, he satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. And therefore, when you and I surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we too can be saved. What he did on the cross is then applied to my life. What he does on the cross is applied to me. And therefore now, even though I am a sinner, even though I have brokenness still in my life, I know that what Jesus Christ did on the cross has now been applied to me. The wrath of God has been, has been appeased in every way. This is the model of Jesus for us. Jesus is not just teaching these men. He's not just telling this mother. And by the way, he's not angry at this mother. He's not angry at his disciples. He's teaching them. He's helping them understand. God helps us understand what gospel-centered service is as well. But he's not, he's not yelling at these, these disciples. He's teaching them. And then he's going to show them on the cross. And Jesus shows you and I on the cross as well. You see, this is at the heart of what it means to serve. Listen, Central. This is at the heart of what it means to serve at Central. Greatness in God's eyes is measured by serving him and serving others. Greatness in God's eyes is not measured by the world's standards. 
valuing accomplishment and awards and status and appearances and experience, all of those kinds of things in our world, values placed on recognition and status, not so in the kingdom of God. You see, God values something entirely different. And the importance is not measured by how others see us, it is measured by how God sees us, how God looks into the motives of your heart, how God looks into your heart and in your mind. God calls his disciples to serve both him and each other. There's something deeper going on here that I want you to see. Because what Jesus is teaching about here is what matters is how you serve. It's not just about jumping into a ministry and serving. Anybody can do that. This isn't just about jumping into something and then serving in a ministry. What matters is how you serve. I want to give you three real quick kind of keys to serving that I like to call serving here at Central, right? That three keys of how we can serve at Central. Here's the first one. We ought to be motivated by love. We ought to be motivated by love when we serve God and when we serve each other. And that's at the end of the day why we serve. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, what? Serve one another. This is what God's called us to. We're to be motivated by love. But you know what else? We're to be measured by our sacrifice. Listen to me this morning. We're to be measured by how we sacrifice for others. Following Jesus Christ costs you something, doesn't it? This is why Jesus teaches us and shows us this principle in Matthew chapter 16. Listen to this verse. Jesus teaches us this. Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There is something about following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior first and foremost, before you even get to each other, about following Jesus that costs you something. But it also costs us something when we serve each other. It costs us time. <clears throat> maybe it costs us money. Maybe it costs us something we'd rather do or we used to always do, or maybe we've always done something our entire lives, but then God then gives us a heart, gives us a burden to do something in the local church or serve in some particular capacity, which requires us to either give up a day of what we used to always do every year for 30 years, or maybe we always went on that trip or we always did this, but God's calling us to more. It's going to cost you something. So it's motivated by love, but it's going to be measured by sacrifice in every respect. Jesus teaches us this principle. I mean, it was going to cost, it cost Jesus to serve and to sacrifice and to lay his life down for us. There's going to be a cost incurred upon the disciples. They're all going to lose their life in some form or fashion. They're all going to be persecuted and tortured in every respect. is isn't, you know, all beautiful, you know, and great in the kingdom of God but it's so worth it. The question is, what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to lay down? What are you willing to lay before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to live my life and serve the body of Christ that you've called me to plant my life in Central Baptist Church? So, so it is, it's, it's motivated by love. It's in measured by sacrifice. By the way, if it's motivated by love, you're willing to do anything because you love people, don't you? 
Don't, aren't you willing to do anything because you love your children, your grandchildren? You're willing to move whatever you've got to move to make it to that ball game. You're, you're willing to move whatever you've got to move in order to see the smile on those grandchildren or those great-grandchildren's faces when they see you walking up. You're willing to do it. Because why? Because you love those children, those grandchildren. You love your children. You love the people that you, you've really invested in. This is our family, right? It's motivated by love. When you're motivated by love, it will then, then you will be, it will be measured by your sacrifice and what you're willing to give up. But it is modeled, of course, after Christ. You see, that is one of the keys of what it means to serve. At Central, we are to be motivated by love. We're to be measured by sacrifice, but modeled after Christ. We are to live our lives in the way that Jesus did by laying our lives down, not only for him, but for, all, for others. And this is why Jesus uses the language that he uses in Matthew 16. If anyone would follow me, he would what? Deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me, right? He uses the same language that he's about to do, which takes the excuse off the table. Well, that's just Jesus laying on, dying on a cross. That's not me. I could never do something like that. Jesus uses the same language, doesn't he? And he uses it in our lives when it, means, when it, come, when it comes to following him as our Lord and Savior. And then that is going to change our entire perspective on what it means to follow others or follow him by serving others. But you know what? When you're motivated by love, when you're measured by sacrifice, when it's measured by sacrifice, when it's modeled after Jesus Christ, there is this hope. Why do you and I serve the way that we serve and when we serve and where we serve? Why do we do things that are, we jump into things that we're not, maybe we've never done before, that are really uncomfortable for us? Why do we do these things? Because we have hope. We hope that it's going to produce spiritual fruit. Something good is going to happen out of it. There is going to be something God's going to do in my service, something God's going to do when I jump into something that I'm not comfortable in that is going to produce something supernatural. I left, a few days ago, I left the beaches of North Carolina on the Outer Banks. Beautiful beaches over there. We left early in the morning when it was still dark, saw the Atlantic Ocean, we drove it straight to Livingston. Isn't that crazy? We're nuts, I know. So I, I saw the Atlantic Ocean, and then I saw my own bed in the same day, maybe a day and change. We left the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and there are no interstates over there, so you're on back roads on your way over to one of the major interstates, I-95, that runs north and south through North Carolina. And as we're on this, these back roads, my family's sacked out of sleep. I get the first leg. And so it's real quiet, and we're leaving, and it's dark, but I get the sun comes up behind me. Okay, I'm going west. The sun's coming up behind me. And as the sun is coming up, I find myself driving in rural eastern North Carolina. And when I look to my left and to my right, as the sun is rising, and there is the, uh, everything is green, by the way, in North Carolina. It was really strange to see. I get back, everything's yellow. But to my left or to my right are nothing but fields, as far as you can see <clears throat> for miles, off and on, of peanut fields. These big, bushy plants, peanut fields, plants, as far as you can see, rows, as far as you can see. I begin to think about this verse, what it means to serve, what it means to be a slave in the kingdom of God, what it means to live the way God wants us to live and serve the way he wants us to serve. 
I thought to myself, as I looked at these rows, as I looked at these plants, at every plant, every row for as miles as in every direction you could see in these fields has a story. Every row, every plant had a story. There was someone who went right there who planted that seed and the plant grew and the fruit's going to be produced. Listen, church, that's how it is in the kingdom of God. We don't understand how it produces spiritual fruit. We don't understand how people are saved. We don't understand how people are ministered to. We don't understand how God takes uh, a little old frail me who's not equipped and able to do something that God comes to me and wants me to do. I cannot see it in myself. God then does this work in me. He does this work through me. Disciples are made the kingdom of God grows, the church is, is healthier, and all of this happens because of the supernatural work of God himself, but it requires me to go there to do it and to serve, to serve with love, to serve with sacrifice, and to serve like Jesus. There is a woman in a church that I used to serve at years ago. Her name is Joanne Kirkland. To this day, she's still serving in that church some 10 years later. Um, Incredible story. She was a woman who, her and her husband came and joined our church. He was a retired pastor. They had been married 50 years. They'd served in ministry for most of those years. And they had retired, and they had moved to the area that we were at and the church that I was serving at at the time. And they decided they were going to serve together in the local church, side by side there in that church. And it wasn't long after they had celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. They had kind of gotten acclimated into our congregation, incredibly loving people, smile on their face, everything. And here was this incredibly beautiful couple. The man loved the Lord. He had been serving faithfully for so many years. He up and dies, passes from this life into eternity. And there she was alone in our church. Miss Joanne grieved, of course, and there were women who came around her and ministered to her, and our congregation ministered to her, and so forth. But I'll tell you this about Joanne Kirkland, what you'll find to this day, 10 years later, 10, 12 years later from that day, you'll find Miss Joanne serving faithfully in her church as a weekday volunteer. You'll, serve, you'll find her serving downtown in Houston at a local mission that is part of that local church. Every Wednesday or every Monday night, she's packing boxes and she's sharing Jesus and praying with folks that are coming through that particular mission. What you won't find Miss Joanne doing is just sitting back doing nothing for the rest of her life. You see, I've said it before and I'll say it again and I'll continue saying it. The way that you gain life is you give it away. That's how you do it. That is the kingdom principle that Jesus teaches us over and over and over again. The way that you gain life, you give it away, you serve. You're serving him, you're serving others. And God does a miracle, he does a supernatural work in you, he does a supernatural work through you. And this is how Jesus is trying to teach these men, how he's teaching this mother, how he's teaching us to live our lives. It is an overflow of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Serve encourage, love one another, we build each other up. Don't be a consumer. Don't come and sit and just wait for the church to serve you. The heart of the gospel is that you and I serve Christ, we serve each other, we give our lives away. And when I do that, then the kingdom of God grows. The church of the living God grows. The spirit of God moves. He moves in you 
and he moves in us. So let's get busy. You see, over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about ways that you can serve in our church. Some of you have come out of a season of serving faithfully through Vacation Bible School. Praise God for you. I'm so thankful for you. That was one of the key indicators that I praised God for. Almost 80 volunteers in Vacation Bible School this year. Praise God for that. Those of you who were students who served, almost over 20 students were involved in serving in Vacation Bible School. Praise God for that. We had senior adults. We had widows. We had couples. We had young couples. We had some that were singles who served in Vacation Bible School. Praise God for that. We enter into a new ministry year. And as we enter into a new ministry year, you're going to hear about ways that you can serve on ministry teams both in our First Impressions team, maybe Connection Point, our worship team, and our children's ministry, our student ministry, our adults. Let's pray. Let's enter into a season of praying and asking God, God, where do you want me to serve you and one another in the coming ministry year? Will you pray with me this morning? Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Listen, this morning, you heard what Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us disciples. Listen. I'm the example for you. I'm laying my life down for you. You see, what we need to understand first and foremost is to follow Jesus in the local church begins with me following Jesus. And so this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, then you need to get that right. The Bible's very clear that God is perfect and holy. You and I are not. We cannot be in the presence of a holy God But God knew that. He knew, understood that the problem existed in our life, and so he sent the solution, Jesus Christ, who came into this world. He laid his life down for us. His life is a ransom for yours. What you've got to do is surrender your life to him. And all that Jesus did for for you on the cross is applied to you. And so that's the first step. So I'm going to be here at the front during our time of response. You respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not given your life to him, you come forward and you give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe God is speaking to you about joining Central. It's a great time to join this church. The life of our church, what God's beginning to do here, what he has been doing here, what he wants to do in you and through you. Plant your life here. And plant your life so that God can use you so that God can move in you. Maybe God's speaking to you about a personal matter that you need prayer over. I'd be happy to pray with you here at the front, talk to you about any matter. But I'm gonna pray for you. We're gonna pray for our time and we're gonna stand and sing. Let's worship him and respond to him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Lord giving us the example of what it means to be gospel-centered in every respect and serving you and serving each other. We pray that you would find us faithful and obedient now. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with us and let's sing. You have the courage to come.
be seated this morning. Um, a couple quick announcements for us before we leave here today. First of all, as we mentioned earlier in the service, now we can give our tithes and our offerings here at the end before we leave. You can give, of course, as you're leaving today in the boxes. You can also give conveniently online, and uh, there are other ways you can drop your offering off and, and your tithes off at the church throughout the week, and so we want to ask you to be faithful to do that. Let's keep Uh, funding what God is doing here locally and globally through our church. And so let's keep giving faithfully to him. Um, And we're going to have a time of prayer over that offering before we close our service out this morning. Hey, don't forget this coming Wednesday night, we got a great children's event, Nacho Ordinary Back to School Bash. So school's right around the corner. We got a lot of families still traveling, um, trying to get those last minute vacations in. But this coming Wednesday night, we have our back-to-school event. It's going to be over in the Family Center across the way, so don't forget about that. All are welcome, but especially children, parents, um, to come to that event. We've got some fun things planned for that, and that's coming up soon. Next Sunday, don't forget it is Promotion Sunday. We'll be promoting up our little ones, promoting up our students, and so uh, students will be getting, those of you who are moving up to the student ministry, we'll be getting information out to you this week as to where to meet and how to, to, uh, to get transitioned over to the student ministry from the children ministry, but um, there's a lot going on with that, so don't forget parents, grandparents, if you're raising kids and you drop kids off, uh, that next weekend is Promotion Sunday, all right? This coming Saturday, we've got an event for that we've been promoting the last few weeks called the Equip Conference. It's down in Houston at Sagemont Church. This is one of the best kind of um, equipping conferences I've ever seen and been a part of. There are over 200 breakout sessions on every area of ministry in the church, And there will be people um, in local churches from all over the state of Texas that will be there for this. Um, There'll be, like I said, over 200 breakout sessions. It's 10 bucks. It's all it costs because through our cooperative program giving, um, all of this is funded. It is for local churches. And so I'm going to encourage you to go and you can sign up online. Let us know you're going so we can know kind of who's down there. 
Um, but there'll be people from our church, uh, Lord willing, that'll be a part of that. Um, and that is this coming Saturday as well. And then lastly, we've got one big event coming up on Wednesday night, the 9th. That's a week and a half from today. Not this Wednesday night, but next Wednesday night. And uh, it'll be, we're calling it Encounter. It's going to be a great night. It's going to be a night of prayer and worship. Here's what I want to tell you. We're not just going to come in here and sing songs, okay? We're going to worship the Lord absolutely in this, in this room as we sing, but we're also going to be having some strategic times of prayer for our church and for our community. And so we want to encourage you to be here for this. It's going to be different. You've probably never experienced, and most of us have never been a part of something like this. It's going to be a night of praying and music. And so we're going to get together, no child care needed. We're all just going to come into this room, and we're going to have a time of worship. I know one thing, that's the first day of school. So that night, it's not, there's no ministries that night, okay? Our ministries start the following Wednesday night. But uh, parents, those of you who, are, who drop kids off at school, students, y'all come to this. It's going to be a fun time and uh, get recharged from a long day of school, a long day of work, I know, for those of you who are teachers. But let's get in this room and let's worship him. Let's pray. Let's ask God to, br- to bring about breakthrough in some specific areas here locally and in our church, okay? And so that's going to be on August the 9th, Wednesday, August the 9th, a week and a half from today, all right? And that's it. Let's stand and let's have a quick word of prayer. And uh, let's pray over our tithes and our offerings. Let's ask God to bless them, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be on our way. God, we love you this morning. Thank you for the time that we've had to worship you. Thank you for the gathering of your people. And God, we thank you for Central. Thank you for the Spirit, your Holy Spirit, that is moving in fresh ways here at our church. And God, we thank you for the days of head that you have in store and the things that, God, you're going to do here in the future. God, we thank you for this season this time as we kind of begin to close our, our summer out here at the late July and go as we move into August. Lord, we pray that you would, Lord, just move among us, that we would serve you faithfully as we get ready for a new ministry year. But Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to worship you. God, as we give to you now our tithes and our offerings, we just pray that you'd multiply them. That you would find us, Lord, giving sacrificially and willingly this morning as we leave. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Have a great morning.